A couple of weeks ago, we were looking at the importance of slowing down. Slowing down. And I want to um, dig in a little more this morning as to what that might look like, how we might actually start thinking about how we do that. And we're going to look this morning, we're going to begin looking this morning actually at the ancient rhythms of silence and solitude. Silence and solitude. So if you've got a Bible, turn with me to Matthew uh, Matthew chapter 3, verse 13. I think the words might come up on the screen. This is Matthew chapter 3, verse 13. Let me just pray before we go any further. Father, we thank you for your presence. We thank you that you're here with us. We thank you that you go before us, you go behind us, you hedge around us. I pray this morning that you would, by your Holy Spirit, you would expand our hearts to receive all that you have for us. You'd still inquire our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus just to hear your voice. In Jesus' name, amen. This is Matthew chapter 3. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and, and do you come to me? And Jesus replied, you know, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. And then John consented. And as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son, whom I love With him I am well pleased. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus announced, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And the story goes on. You'd probably be quite familiar with that story. What I want us to notice here is the first thing that Jesus does, he has this like incredible encounter with the Father at his baptism. And the first thing that he does after this incredible encounter and this experience with the Father, the first thing he does is he goes straight into the wilderness. Which, when you think about it, it's like it's, it's a pretty strange thing to do. Um, You know, you would have thought, I would have thought that Jesus, after that kind of experience and encounter with his father at his baptism, the Spirit of God resting on him and lighting on him like a dove, that he would have like gone straight from that place and he would have gone off and he'd started healing the sick and he would have started preaching the good news. But the first thing that he does is he goes into the wilderness. And the word wilderness in the Greek, so my learned friends uh, tell me not being a Greek scholar, the word in Greek for wilderness is, um, is a ramos. And when you read through the Gospels, you see that it's translated in all sorts of ways. And so it appears as wilderness, but it also appears as um, desert. Sometimes it shows up as the deserted place, desolate place, solitary place, quiet place, lonely place. And this is the place that Jesus goes first. And there are stories all the way through the four Gospels about Jesus and this place. Jesus and the wilderness. Jesus and the solitary place. Jesus and the quiet 
place. Jesus in the lonely place. And it's just when we read Matthew chapter 3, chapter 4, really this is the first time that we encounter this kind of place with Jesus and Jesus going into this sort of place. Um, But it sort of helps us understand and gives us some kind of framework for some of the other times that this crops up throughout the Gospels. So verse 1, you've got this. Then Jesus led by the Spirit, uh, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Have you ever read that and kind of thought, like, what the heck is going on here? Like, that, like this is like, like, how random is this? This is so random. What a weird thing. It's like pretty bizarre. You know, why would the Spirit lead Jesus into the wilderness? Why would the Spirit of God take Jesus into this kind of desolate, barren place? You know, I mean, we, we probably understand the fact that Jesus has got to go sort of head to head, you know, toe to toe with the with the tempter at some point, that kind of makes sense of Genesis chapter 3 and all of that kind of stuff. But why is it that the Spirit of God leads Jesus into the wilderness? You know, why is it after praying, Jesus has gone into the wilderness and he's been praying and he's been fasting for 40 days, 40 nights, um, why is it sort of at the end of all of that that he has this encounter with the devil? I've I've always read this and always found it pretty confusing. I've never really kind of quite grasped it, I don't think. You know, I've always read it and seen it as Satan, as the enemy, as the tempter, coming to Jesus like at his, um, at his most vulnerable, at his point of his greatest weakness. You know, it's been 40 days, he's, Jesus has been on his own, he's been in silence and solitude, he's had no food for 40 days, he's stuck out like on the, in the middle of nowhere. And it's like, bang, right in that moment, that's when the devil comes and attacks him. You know, I kind of read that and I say, well, that's like, isn't that typical of the enemy? Isn't that typical of the strategies of the enemy? You know, he waits till we're on our own. He waits till we're tired. You know, he waits till, you know, the end of a really bad and stressful week. He waits till we're kind of at our lowest point and that's when he materializes. That's when he shows up. But kind of all of that doesn't really explain the fact, the question as to why the Spirit of God would lead Jesus into the wilderness in the first place. And the more I've thought about it, the more I wonder whether I've been reading it slightly backwards. Maybe, maybe this place, maybe the wilderness, maybe the the desolate place, maybe the desert, maybe the solitary place, maybe the quiet place, maybe it isn't actually a place of weakness. You know, where Jesus is right at the very end of himself. Maybe the wilderness, maybe the desert, maybe the desolate place, the solitary place. Maybe this is actually a place of strength. The Spirit, I think, led Jesus into the wilderness because after 40 days of silence and solitude, after 40 days of fasting, Jesus was actually at the height of his spiritual power. It was actually... Only then, it was, it was only at that point that Jesus was able to face and to confront the assault and the attack of the enemy. And you read this and you see it right throughout the Gospels. That's why over and over and over again, all throughout Jesus' life, we just see Jesus coming back to this very same place of silence and solitude. Jesus very intentionally taking himself into the quiet place very intentionally taking himself into the solitary place, very intentionally taking himself into the wilderness. Have a look at Mark chapter 1, verse 35 
and onwards. Mark chapter 1, if you've ever read Mark chapter 1, Mark, Mark is like, um, it's like this, this chapter is this really, really long chapter, and it's basically sort of Jesus' first day on the job as the Messiah, and it's like this marathon of a, of a day. You know, he's up early in the morning, and then he goes at it all day, and he goes at it all the way through the afternoon, and then uh, way past sundown, you see that in verse 34. And then in verse 35 uh, of Mark chapter 1, we read this. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone's looking for you! What are you doing? Where have you been? Paraphrase. That's not actually in the Bible. Jesus replied, Let's go somewhere else. You know, let's go to the nearby villages so that I can preach there also. You know, that's why I've come. So, this isn't in the Bible, this is me. Despite all the fact that all these people are like, Jesus, 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 Jesus is like, yeah, actually, just going to head off and go somewhere else. This is in the Bible. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. This is why you need to bring your Bibles. Like, I mean, I could say anything. I mean, I, like, you know, heresy half hour. Anyway, um, but there's a pattern. You start to look at this, and you look at the sort of the thing we read from Matthew three, and the thing from Matthew, uh, from Mark chapter one, and it's like there's a little bit of a pattern starting to emerge that might be helpful for us. You know, after his baptism, Jesus goes into the wilderness. He's led into the wilderness by the Spirit. He goes to this quiet place. He goes to this solitary place, and he's there for like forty days. And then, if you kind of look at the timeline, basically what happens is he comes back from that place. He does one day on the job, like as Messiah. And then he goes straight back to this quiet place. He goes straight back to the solitary place. And what this means, it kind of, you start to see it forming through the Gospels, is that Jesus going into the wilderness, Jesus going into the quiet place, Jesus seeking out a solitary place, this wasn't like a one-time thing just after his baptism. This was something that was woven into the very fabric of his existence and his everyday life. Have a look over to Mark chapter 6, verse 30. Uh, verse 30 says this, the apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they'd done and taught, you know, like, look at the amazing stuff that's been going on. That's not in the Bible. Uh, in, in, as we've been out and about. Verse 31. Then because so many people were coming and going, they didn't even get a chance to eat. They're like so busy doing the stuff of the kingdom. They're so busy doing like God's work. They didn't have a chance to eat. You ever kind of feel like that? Like, you know, the stuff of your day, you're just so busy, there's so much going on, you, there's so many people, so many things pulling you in so many different directions. It's almost like there are days where you just don't feel like you have even time to eat. That's how busy you are, and it's like, you know, I, I seriously, like, I was so busy yesterday, I, I didn't even have a chance to, like, I missed lunch, I missed supper because I was so busy, and I certainly didn't have enough time to pray, certainly didn't have enough time to kind of set aside any time to meet with God. And if you feel like that, you're actually in good company. I mean, this, these guys, that's what they're experiencing. So they didn't even have a chance to eat. And then Jesus says to them, come with me by yourselves. So there's this invitation because they're so kind of harassed. And Jesus says, come with me by yourselves. And then you need to kind of think about, what does Jesus say next? Did he say, come with me by yourselves? And it's like, look, boys, seriously, like, we're all pretty pretty stressed, like we've been pretty busy, we've been doing some amazing things, why don't we just like, like chill out somewhere, binge watch a box set and you know, 
eat ice cream. You know, does Jesus say, like, um, come on, guys, let's come, come with me by yourselves. Let's find, a, let's find a really nice pub somewhere. Let's get absolutely flipping hammered. Like, I've earned this because we've been really busy lately. Does Jesus say, you know, look, why don't you just come with me, right? Let's just go and sort of curl up in a corner and hide away and just pretend that the world isn't really, doesn't really exist. And let's just, like, sleep for, like, five weeks. Jesus doesn't say any of that. Jesus says... This is in the Bible. Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. What Jesus is saying is, do you know what? Um, what you really need isn't more Netflix. What you really need isn't um, some kind of escape. What you really need isn't another bottle of wine. Um, what you really need isn't another night on the town. What you really need is some time alone with me in a quiet place. And when I say me, I don't mean like me, I mean Jesus. You don't want to be alone with me in a quiet place, right? You do want to be alone with Jesus in a quiet place. Verse 32. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. It's like, oh, great. Yeah, in the boat, row across the lake, be awesome, we'll find somewhere quiet. But, verse 33, many of these wonderful people who saw them leaving, recognized them, and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. You just imagine like what that feels like. These guys are saying, oh, I am so exhausted. I, Jesus has just invited us. Come along, come alone, you know, come along with me just by yourselves. Let's get some rest. Let's go to a quiet place. It's like, oh, God, that's going to be awesome. After everything we've been doing, can't wait. And you get there, you've rowed across the lake, you get there and there's like all these people, like gazillions of people already there. Any of you introverts out there have a sense of what that might feel like? All us extroverts are like, great, party, like another group of people, like awesome, fantastic, like let's go. Verse 34, Jesus lands, uh, he, he, when Jesus landed um, and saw a large, he saw this large crowd Jesus had compassion on them because they were like a sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. I love the honesty of this story. Um, what they really need is time alone with Jesus in this quiet, solitary place. But they, they're almost there. It's just like within reaching, touching distance. And then they suddenly get interrupted by all these forces beyond their control. All these crowds of people show up. You know, and that's like our experience, isn't it? Um, you set aside time to pray and... You're all settled down in your favorite armchair and you've got your coffee and your Bible and your book and you're just about to sit and be with Jesus and then suddenly, you know, the kids start screaming and it's like, Ah, mommy, mommy, daddy, I need you. Like, you know, what's going on? You know, you're like, you know, or you, you know, work gets, you get an email or something like that and there's something going on at work or somebody calls you. Somebody, it's like suddenly everyone needs you and your quiet moment with Jesus gets interrupted and so you never actually get there. You just don't have the time. And the reality is that's just how life is sometimes. These interruptions, like for the disciples, like for Jesus, happen. Have a look down to the end of the story, verse 45. Most of you know the story. This is about Jesus, like, feeding a few thousand people. Um, but by the end of the story, it says this, verse 45. Immediately, so all this has happened. Jesus has fed the 5,000 or whatever it is. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida, while he, 
dismissed the crowd. After leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. When you read this kind of this story in context, it, um, it, what it feels like is like Jesus' day has been so full, so full on, so hectic, all good stuff, but there's been so much going on. There's like people, 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 literally thousands of them. You know, they're hungry, they're sick, they're thirsty, they're desperate for a touch from God. And Jesus is ministering to all of those people and meeting those needs and he's encountering them because he has compassion on them. But it's, it's almost like at the end of it, Jesus literally needs everyone just to go away. Like, just seriously, just go away. Kindly. So he sort of packs off the disciples, like, you look, seriously, you look, get in a boat, go like, over there. I'll catch up with you whenever, I'm not quite sure. And then he dismisses the crowd. It's like, crowd, time to go home. Leave, please, in a nice way. However, the Son of God would say that in such a kind way. And then once the disciples have gone off in the boat and the crowd have been dismissed, he's like, mountain first thing he does is head straight up this mountain because he knows that he needs to get some time and some space. He knows that he needs some silence and some solitude just to be alone with himself and with God. He knows that he needs that time. Have a look over to Luke chapter 5 verse 15. In the gospel of Luke there are like nine, at least nine occasions where Jesus goes off to the quiet place, the solitary place. This is just one example, verse 15. Yet the news about him spread all the more so that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. See that? He, he often withdrew. Jesus frequently Withdrew. This is a regular thing that Jesus does. He's giving us permission, not only permission, but almost an instruction. You too need to do this. If you're following, if we're walking in step with the rhythm and the pace, as we talked about a couple of weeks ago, of Jesus, learn from him. You read through Luke, you know, you see that it's almost like the more pressed and the more busy and the more in demand Jesus is, the more he withdraws to this lonely place to pray. Now, if you're anything like me, when, um, when I get busy, like with life, you know, with a family or work or, or whatever it is, usually, pretty much always, the first thing that goes is my time away and alone in quiet Silence and solitude with Jesus. It's the first thing that I just don't have time for that right now. God, you'll understand that. I'm really, really busy doing your stuff. So, like, you know, you can't expect me to be doing your stuff and, like, like praying and stuff like that. So, this is the time when we need more of the silence and solitude, not less. That's the example given to us by Jesus. The busier he was, the more he was in demand, the more intentionally he seeks out silence and solitude. And the point is that being found in the quiet place, the, the solitary place, this place, the wilderness, the desert, the desolate place, the lonely place, this was a regular part of the rhythm of Jesus' life. And it needs to be a regular part of the rhythm of our lives as followers of Jesus. Just read the Gospels, you see it time and time again. Jesus would literally sneak off, he'd go up a mountain, he'd go to a quiet place outside Jerusalem. Wherever it was that he could go just to get away so that he could be alone with himself and with God. 
Now, this practice based on the life of Jesus, this is what's become known as silence and solitude. And, and that can basically be defined as this. Intentional time in the quiet to be alone with ourselves and with God. Intentional time in the quiet to be alone with ourselves and God. And silence is pretty self-explanatory. Uh, but the problem with silence is, as we know, there are like two elements to silence. There's external silence and there's sort of internal silence. There's external noise and internal noise. External silence is, is a little bit more straightforward. It's, it's, it's sort of where you go um, somewhere where there's no noise. Uh, it's really, really quiet. There's no music in your headphones. There's no TV on in the background, even though no one's actually watching it. There are no kids screaming. Uh, it's when you're out in nature, maybe. You're walking in Richmond Park. Uh, you're up early in the morning, maybe. You're maybe up late at night. But it's just quiet. There's no external noise, maybe the buzz of the A3 in the distance or you know the planes flying in or whatever, but generally speaking, there's no noise. And, and quiet, just all by itself, just being silent, just being in silence is a really, really worthwhile spiritual rhythm. Quiet, stillness, silence is very, 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 very good for the soul. Totally free. You don't have to do anything. You, know, you, don't have to, you don't have to read. You don't have to pray. You, you don't have to speak. Uh, you don't have to fast. You don't have to do anything. You just be quiet in the quiet. Just sit in it and allow the silence to kind of wrap around you. Now, not only did Simon and Garfunkel write a great song about slowing down, they also wrote a great song called The Sound of Silence. Yeah. Um, as I discovered a couple of weeks ago, most of you haven't even heard of Simon and Garfunkel. Um, I know. I'm not going to sing it. So, because none of you will recognize it and you'll think I'm being weird again, James Kite. I'm pretty appalled about the fact that none of you know. I asked my eldest, uh, our eldest is 21, something like that, 22. I said, um, have you ever heard of Simon and Garfunkel? And he said, yeah, isn't that a restaurant in London? <laughs> so I've got to get a little bit more streets with my cultural references. So I've got to drag myself out of the 1960s and early 70s into the whatever. If any of you young people know any artist that has ever written a song about silence, <laughs> let me know. That's your test, right? <laughs> it's like everyone's going to Google that now. But silence, just being somewhere you know, where there's no noise, it's very, 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 very good. Very good for the soul. Uh, in the staff office, the staff team, we've been, we've been taking a little bit of time for in doing this intentionally. We've been creating a little bit of space to do the daily office, like sort of a um, fixed prayer time. And we've just been taking like five minutes or so, a um, couple of times during the day, just to interrupt it's Eugene Peterson's thing about interrupting our preoccupation with ourselves and attending to the presence of the Almighty. Interrupting our preoccupation, even from just like doing all the stuff that we're doing, just to take five minutes to attend to the presence of the Almighty in silence. And um, it's, it's fantastic. It's just becoming like a, a highlight of the day, just being quiet. There's no noise, no distraction, just silence. Just being in the quiet, even for just a few minutes, does something wonderful 
um, in our hearts and in our souls. There's something about um, just not talking for a while, which is something I find incredibly difficult. Um, I was thinking about modeling silence and solitude by getting up here and just standing here for like half an hour, and you might have wished that I'd done that. Um, the reality is the more we talk, the, the more we sin. Okay, the reality is that the more I talk, the more I sin. Okay. Uh, Proverbs, Mike, shut up. Uh, <laughs> Proverbs puts it, you know, in the multitude of words, um, sin is not lacking. Great example of that. So we love words. Um, we value words. We fill our lives with words. But how are we loving silence? How are we valuing stillness? How are we filling our lives with quiet. The reality is silence is healing and as life-giving as it is, is actually really, really, really hard. You know, what does it say about us that we've always got kind of music on? There's always got to be music in the background. We can't like be anywhere unless we've got like our headphones in and we're listening to something, 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 or the TV's on, uh, or there's just non-stop noise. It's almost like we intentionally want to fill any possible silence with some kind of volume. And that's because there's external noise, which we just talked about, you know, where all we've got to do is turn something off and just go somewhere really, really quiet. But then there's this slightly more tricky noise, and that's the internal noise. You know, that's the mental chatter. That's the, the thoughts that just won't stop. That's the mind that just won't slow down. You know, the fantasies and the worry and the fear and the what if and the, the, the endless internal dialogue that we all kind of live with. You know, it's not just the constant hum of London life and planes, trains and automobiles. That's part of the noise of our lives, but there's an inner noise that we all have to contend with. And silence is that space and that place that we come to where we still and quiet both of those things, silence and solitude. So these two things go together, and they, the reason they go together is because without silence, there really can't be any kind of solitude. Um, now, solitude, just to clarify, solitude isn't the same thing as loneliness or isolation. Richard Foster, he wrote um, the, the classic book on the discipline, Celebration of Discipline, uh, he wrote this. He said, loneliness is inner emptiness. Solitude is inner fulfillment. There's a chap called uh, Wayne Cudero. He wrote a great book on burnout um, for pastors. And he wrote this. He said, there's a difference between isolation and solitude. They may contain similar characteristics, but in reality, they are worlds apart. Solitude is a chosen separation for refining your soul. Isolation is what you crave when you neglect the first. So in silence and solitude, you know, what happens is we, we decompress from the noise and the chaos and the busyness and the activity and the non-stop overstimulation of the modern life in which we find ourselves living. In silence and solitude, we slow down long enough to start to feel and get in touch with some of those emotions that many of us have been running away from. In silence and solitude, we begin to get in touch with you know, the good, the bad, and the ugly of what's actually in our hearts. We, we face our 
desire and our hunger and our thirst for God, and at the same time we face our lack of desire and hunger and thirst for God. Uh, we get in touch with our insecurities, we get in touch with our fantasies, we get in touch with our idolatry. Everything that lies under the surface of our lives that we spend as much time as we possibly can trying to keep as far under the surface of our lives as possible. You know, those strange motivations, the addictions that we've used just to get through the week. All of that starts to get released through silence and solitude. It all starts to come bubbling up. The thing about it is, is it begins to get released in this incredibly safe place. Because we're sitting in silence and solitude in the presence of the Almighty. We're sitting in silence and solitude in the presence of our Father who loves us. And as some of this stuff that we really don't want anyone to see starts to come up, the grace of God comes and takes it and begins to heal us up. It's in silence and solitude that we hear the voice of God. He cuts through the wall of the sound and the cacophony, all the other voices that are going on, um, the voices from our parents, from our friends, from our TV, from social media, all of it all gets cut across by the still small voice of God. And we begin to realize actually in these moments of quiet stillness that I just, I just heard like the word of God. I heard the voice of God. I just heard truth. It's like, oh, it transforms us. We begin to gain a, a right perspective on our life with God. Um, in silence and sorry, we come to this new place of freedom. Um, things like our successes and our failures, they, all those sorts of things start to lose the grip and the power that they have over us. As, you know, things like the, the tyranny of the approval or the disapproval of others, they start to kind of slowly evaporate. Um, because in silence and solitude, we come home to ourselves. And in silence and solitude, most of all, we come home to God. And never has it been more vital for us to recapture uh, this practice. It was really interesting. I came across a, 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 a study that Adobe had done um, looking at uh, what are the images, image trends for this coming year? What are people wanting to look at? What are people, what images are people wanting to see? And one of the top uh, categories of images that people are craving for and are wanting to see over 2018 are images of silence and solitude. Like how random is that? But there's a yearning and a longing and a desperation, not just in the church, but just in society, for the craving some silence and some solitude. You look through most of the great teachers right down through the last 2,000 years of church history, they, most of them say silence and solitude is kind of where it's at. They say it's like one of, the, if not the most important of the spiritual rhythms. It's the one that comes out sort of at top of the list time and time and time and time again. And we would be foolish to ignore these things. Henry Nguyen, in The Way of the Heart, writes this. He says, without solitude... It is virtually impossible to live a spiritual life. We do not take the spiritual life seriously if we do not set aside some time to be with God and to listen to him. Okay, so here's a few quick practical things as we start to sort of dig into this individually, corporately over the coming weeks. Um, the first thing is this. On the whole subjects of silence and solitude, know your um, personality, know your season and your stage. Um, 
This practice, perhaps more than any other, is going to be shaped by your personality, particularly where you fall on the extrovert, uh, introvert scale. That's just something to bear in mind because it is going to probably have an impact. If you're an introvert or if you're leaning towards introversion, you will probably need like lots and lots and lots and lots and then a bit more silence and solitude. And it may be, um, if you're an introvert, you, you may find it sort of relatively easy. You might just enjoy being on your own, just being silent and being still and being quiet before God. Um, if you're an extrovert, like me, this is much more of a challenge. Um, sitting still, just not something I do. Being quiet, like not really something that comes naturally. Like I've got so many great things to say that everyone surely needs to hear. I'm an external processor, so it's pretty difficult to be an external processor in like quiet. And it's pretty difficult to process things externally when there's nobody there to externally process it with. So this for me is an absolute flipping nightmare. Um, However, whether you find it really, really easy, whether you find it more of a challenge, it's something that all of us need to lean into. We all need to discover a rhythm with it. Okay, so let's not just pitch it because, or ditch it because well, I'm too much of an extrovert. Let's find ways in which we're engaging with it. Um, we all need to do this. But do be aware of your personality and your preferences. Um, the way that we engage with this is going to be shaped by your stage and uh, your season of life. So again, like cut yourself. This is all about cutting yourself some slack. Um, if you've just had a baby, the concept of hours of sitting in silence and solitude with the Lord, it's going to be a challenge, right? Like babies aren't silent ever, right? And um, so, so recognize the season of life. You know, if you've got small children, that's going to change the way in which we can engage with silence and solitude. You know, if you're working 90 hours a week, you know, first of all, you need to stop doing that. Like, but it's going to be harder for you to find a rhythm or interrupt your day with times of silence and solitude. But again, whatever season of life we're in, we need to find time to be on our own in the choir with God. But just recognize that it's going to look differently for all of us. Um, it's also going to be shaped by your stage of discipleship. There are stages of our journey with Jesus whereby um, we are going to need to be aware of the fact that actually right now I need lots and lots of time alone in the choir with God. And there are other times when it's less of a sort of pressing um, need. Whatever stage of discipleship we're at, we also need to recognize that we still need to be pressing into silence and solitude. My point is, no matter what um, stage we're at, what season we're in, what personality preferences we have, we all need to be thinking intentionally about carving out some time in silence and solitude. Just find a way to do it that fits with where you're at. You don't, don't feel like you need to be competing with others. You know, this isn't a competition. You know, we can all do this. We just start small, right? This isn't a heavy thing. This is supposed to be a life-giving, joyous, fun experience. So start where you're at and, and, and start small. And that might just be like five minutes. might be two minutes. Just of silence and solitude. might be every other day. It's like, great, fantastic. We can start to weave that into our lives. I think one of the things that you, most people discover is that actually when they start to do this, it's like exercising. Like, actually, do you know what? This is really nice. I, 
I want to do a little bit more. I want to sit for three minutes or four minutes or five minutes. Just start somewhere. Give yourself grace and move forward with Jesus. Second thing is it's practice, not performance. This is all about practice and not performance. We, we need to come at this with a right heart and a right heart attitude. It's so easy, like, particularly like people like me, control freaks who like to tell everyone what to do and boss everyone around and, and be in charge and like bark orders at everybody. You know, like that's who I am sometimes. Um, it's really, really easy for people like me to become more religious and legalistic and self-righteous and performance-based. Do you see like targets? like results, that's kind of important stuff. You know, so it's like, oh, great, I've been told I need to do this. Right, I need to do this. How long are you doing? 20 minutes? I'm going to do an hour. <laughs> you lightweight, you can only do 20 minutes? I'll double that. You know, or it's like, how long are you doing? I did it, like, five hours. What? Five hours. Okay, um, I've got to do more. Must do more. Must do more than five hours. Five hours and three minutes. Um... That's how I am. You obviously are much more godly than that. So, But this isn't about trying to impress other people. This isn't um, us comparing ourselves with other people. Uh, most importantly, this isn't about us trying to impress God. It's like, I, I did five hours of silence and solitude, God. So now you owe me that thing that I was asking for. Good luck with that. It's not going to happen. Instead of focusing on performance, let's come at this like with this kind of practice-based, experimental kind of give-it-a-go heart and attitude. Um, you know, I've got no idea what this is going to be like. Maybe I'll be, maybe I'll love it. I might hate it. You know, maybe I'll be a natural. Uh, maybe I'll be terrible. Uh, maybe it will be easy for me. Maybe it will be hard. Maybe I'll get hours in. Maybe I won't even be able to snatch like a couple of minutes. It's all fine. It's all about heart attitude. Um, We'll all be in different kinds of spaces and places, and that's all okay. Let's just agree to giving it a go and seeing what happens. And then the third thing is, and I'll finish, uh, is think short and long. And what I mean by that is let's start thinking about doing silence and solitude for short periods of time to start with, but, but on a regular basis. So just take a few moments every day and if you feel like it maybe a couple of times a day or a few times a day just look intentionally for opportunities all throughout your day just a minute here just a couple of minutes there just to be quiet and still on your own with Jesus maybe it's um, when you make a cup of tea in the morning you know everyone else is still in bed or whatever it's like the house is a little bit quiet you can make a cup of tea and just you have a couple of minutes of stillness and solitude there uh, maybe it's when you're on your way to work, your walk from, the, from your home to the station. That walk is just a, maybe an opportunity for some stillness, for some solitude, for some quiet. Just whenever and wherever you can, let's be thinking intentionally about slowing down. There's some silence and solitude just you and God. Look for those little moments and then maybe start to build something up, um, some longer times, as and when you can. See if we can carve out, you know, 15 minutes, 20 minutes. Just see how it goes. Just set a modest goal, a few minutes a day, just sit quietly in silence and solitude. Not do anything, don't do anything. Don't do anything in particular. Don't, don't pray. Just be in the presence of God. And then let's see how that goes. And for some of us, I believe this is going to be the start, or could be the start of a whole new season of freedom, of healing, of wonderful intimacy with Jesus. Um, this pursuit of silence and solitude, this, this pursuit of the 
the quiet place, the, the, the solitary place. This is the place where Jesus and countless numbers of his followers throughout history have found life with God. And this is the place where every single one of us here, we can find life with God too if we will but give it a go. So, over the next few weeks, we'll be digging into this rhythm a little bit more, silence and solitude. Just for this week, see if we can just spend even a few minutes every day. Just find somewhere quiet, get comfortable, and sit in silence and solitude with God. Sound like a plan? Nod politely. Why don't you stand? We'll minister to one another.